Well, as you've been hearing, we're in the series in Multiply, and hopefully you have this book in hand. If you didn't get one of these, pick one up as you leave here this morning. And where we are going to be this morning, you notice as you open it up, uh, the journal belongs to, you can put your name in there, and so you can make sure that nobody steals it here today. We don't want any thefts going on and reporting that to the police. But uh, then where we're going to be, you turn on the next page, of course, is a picture of me. I demand that in any literature that we put out. But where we are going to be this morning is on page 8, Biblical Call for Discipleship. And so biblical basis for our discipleship. And so page 8, as you follow along, these are going to be the outlines for the messages, much as we normally would have had it in the eight and a half by eleven piece of paper of the bulletin they're going to be following through so you can read ahead you can find out what's next sunday what's the prior what's the next sunday after that and as loris mentioned on the wednesday nights as well we encourage you to use that to follow along multiply why do we use the word multiply because that is a core of what jesus christ gave to us the apostle paul actually said this in second timothy 2 2 just before he died is one of the last things paul ever wrote because uh, second timothy was his last book before his death And he said, the things which you have heard from me, so there's truth that Paul had taught, in the presence of many witnesses, so he's not isolated, he's surrounded by others who want to follow Christ, entrust these to faithful men. And so I don't just learn it for my own sake, it's not all about me, I want to pass that on to faithful men, those men who will actually understand and cherish the truth of God's Word, I want to give it to them And what do they do it who will be able to teach others also? So it begins to multiply. The idea is not that I just learn it from me so I feel better about life. I can balance my book. I have a better marriage. I'm happy. That's not our goal. Our goal is so that we can acquire and learn and grow and be followers of Jesus so that I can pass it on to faithful people who they in turn would be so excited about they would pass it on to faithful people as well. Here's a little statistic I learned as I was reading through some of this information. In 25 years, an epic evangelist reaching 1,000 people a day would reach 9,125,000 people, and we would all be impressed by that, and he'd have a home down in Newport Beach. That would be a spectacular, successful evangelist, probably on TV. But someone faithfully discipling just one person a year who also reproduces that with one other person a year and multiply from there exponentially would reach 33,554,423,000 people over 25 years. It's the beauty of this multiplication process. We want to be part of a ministry where it isn't built around one person who can reach lots of people, but it's built around all of us who exponentially can reach a whole lot more people than one person can reach. So as a congregation, as a ministry, that's what God has called us to do. We want to begin to multiply discipleship through each of us. A lot of us are going to sit here. If I'm sitting out there, I'm thinking to myself, I can't do that. I don't know enough. I'm so immature. I'm such a sinner. I fail all the time. Look at my marriage, my job, my finances, my health. I don't have an education. Whatever it may be, we've all got these things. But what you're going to discover over these next four Sundays is that whoever you are, whatever you have in your background, however your struggles may be today, God has something in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
that you can use to multiply into others. And we're going to set you free from all the encumbrances and obstacles and the reasons why I can't do that. I'm not qualified to do that. We're going to help you with that and uh, guide us along that way. So there is a mandate for disciples. Now, I've got a couple of things sitting up here. I've got this tree over here. I want to begin with this. This, does anybody know what kind of tree this is? Probably can't tell. Well, Ken could tell because I told him before church, so he cheated. But uh, it's an apple tree. This is an apple tree. Can you believe it? This is an apple tree. This apple tree is a tree that represents uh, trees that have never been discipled. This tree has never been discipled. This tree has sat in my daughter's backyard for about a year now. It was given to her after a wedding. She does flowers uh, for weddings and for funerals and, and for all your personal needs. And I have her business card if you want it afterwards. <laughs> but, uh, and so she was given that tree from the wedding. And it has sat in her backyard. It has never been planted. It's never had a hole dug for it and put those, pla- those roots in there. They, they've sat in this container here all bound up for a good year now. And so the fruit that it has, and I was putting this tree in here, one of the apples fell off. Look at this apple. It's sort of sad, isn't it? This tiny little apple. Teeny tiny little apple. It's working hard to produce fruit. But it's not doing too well. And you can see by the limbs and the branches, it's, it's anemic. And I don't want people today to have the kind of relationship with Jesus Christ where it feels like I'm struggling, I'm working hard, and, and all I'm producing is something very small and seemingly lack of impact. I want to produce what God has called me to produce. I want to be able to multiply through my life things that have significance not only for me but for everyone who's around me, my family, my friends, my business associates, whoever they may be. We want to produce powerful fruit for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so I want to take a tree like this and say, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. Someday we're going to take this tree out of this little container that is holding it back. And we're going to dig Jessica's backyard up. I've already put the sprinkler system in there. So we're almost ready to free up this tree and disciple it by putting it in the ground, letting the roots begin to flourish, begin to nurture it, water it, give it fruit, uh, give it food that helps it grow, maybe stake it during the Santa Ana winds, get rid of the weeds that would want to choke it out, and we're going to set it free and let it produce. What we want are individuals who feel a little bit like this tree today. And what I'm producing out of my life feels so meek and meager and set you free. Take off the container that holds us back so we can reproduce according to the way God has designed us to be. Many of you are already doing that, and we want others to join in as well. So that's what we are emphasizing this morning, how to multiply. And so we have the mandate. There's a mandate that's been given to us. A lot of us know this passage, one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this to his disciples, go, and the word go, baptize, teach, even to the end of the age are the key words that surround this mandate of go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. We are not just limited to our land, the people we like, the people who are our friends. We go to the enemies as well. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. I don't pick and choose the things that I'm comfortable with, things I agree with, things that fit my ideology. I say, all that God has taught me, that I will teach others. 
I am always with you, even to the end of the age. He forecasts this into the future. Let's take those things bit by bit. They're very simple things. To make disciples means we have to go. So where do we go? Ginger and Eric, they used to sit here amongst us, right? You used to be, when I first got here, you just here, and Ginger was a regular up here on the worship team. They were working here, Eric Carpentry and things like that. Very, very active in the church and serving. We're so thankful. And then God says, go. Where do they go? They go to Alaska. And there they continue to serve the Lord now to the Middle East. They, that for them is the where. Now, we don't have to go to Alaska. We don't have to go to Saudi Arabia. We don't have to go to Sudan. We don't have to go to some of these places that seem like impossible for us to go to. So for us, it's going means I need to decide where does God want me to go. And... I looked up the Greek word for go, and you realize what the Greek word for go means? It means go. It means don't do nothing. It means there is initiative I have to take. It means there's something that I have to do that goes beyond me. And so it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what my skill level is. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have behind my name. It doesn't matter how big my bank account is or how small it may be or what my job is, my lack of a job, my retirement. It doesn't matter if you're breathing here today. If you're still breathing by the time I get done today, God has said, go. That means I take an initiative. I like that Steve Jobs, before he died, he had an interview with a Wall Street Journal, and this is what he said. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. That's why he was such a wealthy, uh, successful man. It made an impression on me, and since then, for the last 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and ask myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. The concept and the principle is this. When I wake up in the morning, I think, God, what do you want me to do today? I need to go and do what God has called me to do. What is that? How does that take shape? So the emphasis is very simple. I need to have the initiative to go to fulfill the mandate to make disciples. What does that look like? It looks like something different for a lot of us in this room. And the second thing I notice about this is that I go, who do I go to? I go to those who are baptized. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, entrust this to faithful men. So when I go, I go with the purpose of reaching those who are followers of Jesus so I can help them make others followers of Jesus. Now this is an apple tree over here. And so when you plant an apple tree, what do you expect to come out of an apple tree? Apples. Okay, I'm not trying to be, you know too simplistic or stupid about that. But you do expect apples here. And so if I plant this tree in Jessica's backyard and begin to cultivate it and fertilize it and water it and do all the things you need to do, I expect apples, something maybe a little bit bigger than these little cherry-shaped apples to grow from them. But if I had this plant over here and this was just a giant weed and I spent the same amount of time cultivating a weed, but I expect fruit to grow from it, I'm wasting my time. 
So when Jesus says, this is what I see Jesus saying, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it means invest your time in those, as Paul calls them, faithful men. Jesus says those who are baptized men and women. Invest your time discipling those who are already on the path following Jesus. Those who have been converted by the power of Christ. Those who have been transformed from darkness to light. Those who have been going from hell now are going to heaven. Find those and help bring discipleship. That's discipleship. Evangelism is bringing them to Jesus, but discipleship is in including evangelism, but it is also helping them walk the walk. And that's to distinguish between, behind this. Discipleship is not going to a non-believer or maybe, and I don't mean to demean anybody, but I wouldn't go to this and plant a weed and expect fruit to come from it. I don't go to a non-believer who has never been changed by the power of Christ and expect spiritual fruit to come from them. I don't go around mandating things to help them. Here's a little, here's a little quote. Do not try to make a sinner sin less. Discipleship is not going to sinners who have never been saved and helping them sin a little bit less. Discipleship is letting Jesus make sinners sinless. Those who have been changed by Jesus, I want to help them be sinless and follow in the righteousness of all that God has called them to do. I thought my time was up and they were just... And so we want to help bring people to Jesus to follow Him so they are sinless. The third thing that I notice about this is to make disciples, we teach them. What? All that I've commanded you. We take the whole counsel of God's Word, and we're followers of God's Word. We teach God's Word on Sunday mornings. We have Bible studies. We have life groups. We want to teach all the counsel of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. We teach that all. I love this quote that I found. Larry Taunton is a ministry to uh, students in college, and he did a bunch of interviews amongst atheistic students in college. And there's a whole lot there who are following professors who have liked ideology. This is what he wrote. Without fail, our former church attending students expressed positive feelings. Notice, our former church attending students fallen away from Jesus Christ. But they had positive feelings for those Christians who unashamedly embraced biblical teaching. Don't ever be ashamed of biblical teaching consistently, consistently taught. Michael, for example, a political science major at Dartmouth, told us, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't really trying to convert me. Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life. And you want to change the lives of others. I haven't seen too much of that. Discipleship is bringing the biblical teaching of the words of Christ and His counsel, His old Word of God, and helping it to change lives who will help others to change lives. Even an atheist gets that. So we want to teach the whole counsel of God's Word in discipleship. And how long do we keep doing it to make disciples? mean we do it until the end of the age. We're never done. I jokingly have said and keep saying it that some days it would be nice to be a UPS truck driver because at the end of the day hopefully the truck is empty. And I go home and say I'm done. I never go home and say, I'm done. It just continues on and on. Those of us who are called by Christ to be followers of Jesus, so others will follow Jesus, we're never quite done until the end 
of the age. Here's an interesting quote. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. And there's a lot of work that we will go to to help other people, to impact them, to help them to become followers of Jesus. We may never pick that fruit from them, but our task is to help plant them. The Apostle Paul said, I plant Apollos waters, but God causes the growth. We want to be investing in generations to come that provides the shade over which others then will become followers of Jesus Christ. Here's a picture of a grown apple tree. My guess is I'll never live long enough to see this tree look like that tree. But it doesn't mean you don't stop planting with the purpose that someday someone will pick fruit from something that we today decided needs to grow. Someone once said, what's the best day to plant a tree? Answer, 20 years ago. What's the next best time to plant a tree? Now. Because we want to plant trees. We want to plant lives. As Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, so that God can cause the growth. We're not making anybody become a follower of Jesus, but God is. But He wants to use us. So we need to go, reach those who are followers, baptized in Christ, teach them God's Word, and keep doing it, planting, so that the shade will be cast on the generations that follow us. That's our mandate. Now the mission, how does that happen? It happens through this wonderful truth, so-called great commandment. So it's great commission, as you all well know. Now many of you are familiar with the great commandment. Here's the mission. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, he says, the second great commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, there is no other commandment greater than these. You can't outdo these two. When asked, what are the greatest commandments? He says, that's it. And they were expecting this big laundry list because the Pharisees had like 600 plus laws. Jesus says, now I'm going to just boil it all down. This is all I'm asking from you, that you would do this. Let's take a look at this. And what I love about what Jesus says about this mission, because this, this sort of paints the portrait that goes on this canvas of going and baptizing and teaching till the end of the age. So what are the colors of that canvas of this individual that we want to be a follower of Jesus. They are these qualities. And what I love about what Jesus is saying and what I really believe and committed to in discipleship is this holistic approach, this holistic balanced approach that it wasn't just about one aspect of my life, it's an aspect of all of my life. And Jesus says that here. He says, with you all of your heart. What is the heart? The heart that Christ refers to here refers to my personality. He talks about my, my, uh, my attitude, my motivation, my, my uh, planning, uh, my passion. Those things that are some total of who I am as a person. Everything about discipleship should affect everything about my heart. Because my heart is to love God completely. And then to love my neighbor as myself. Secondly, he says, I want you to love God with your soul. So that means there is a spiritual nourishment that goes on. There's this spiritual intimacy with God where I pray to God and I hear from God. Where there's a closeness, there's, a, there's an intimacy there. Where I have a sense of the presence of Christ with me wherever I go. There's a spiritual dynamic that is taking place in my soul that is untainted by sin and 
by the temptations of this world. God says, that's what I want you to disciple. Thirdly, I want you to take your mind and I want to take the knowledge and the facts that you have and, and I want to take God's Word and help you certainly to memorize Scripture, to study Scripture, to meditate on Scripture. But it's not just meditation of truth. I went to seminary. Seminary was real good for my mind. But candidly, when I was there, seminary wasn't real great with my heart and my soul. There was a whole lot of facts, systematic theology. I can pull up scriptures. You give me a topic, I can give you the scripture verse. But when it comes to the soul and the heart, there wasn't a lot of shaping of that going on. We don't want discipleship that helps people get smarter. We want to have discipleship that takes the heart, the soul, and the mind and makes them more like Jesus. That's the key. And not only the mind, but the strength. That means my service. He says, I want to take all that you do. I take your soul, I take your heart, I take your mind, and now we put you into service. You do something with that. You live in obedience to that. It's transforming in terms of the relationships of your marriage, your job, your business, your ethics, your morality. It begins to transform all of that. You go out and act and practice those things. And then finally, relationships. He says the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Discipleship should make me love people more. I've said this before, and I don't say it to downgrade any seminary or any person, but it's an observation that when I went to my seminary, there were men that I met that were some of the least loving people that I've ever been around. They were snobbish. They were arrogant. They wouldn't listen. It was embarrassing to me. I thought, well, maybe they just, there's something about me that they don't connect with. And maybe it's my, I don't know. I don't want people to get puffed up, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, with knowledge so they lack love with people. Discipleship is not having lots of facts so I can feel smarter than the next guy. Discipleship is making me more loving to people around me. That's the outcome. That's part of the fruit of discipleship. I'm more loving to people. And people, some of them will actually love me back. And so out of that relationship, this is where we keep, when we disciple, when we train, when we teach, we don't want to create the false image of this. Here's a quote that uh, I love. A great theologian once wrote this. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. We're not here to pass down in discipleship. Here's all the rules about what it means to be a believer. Because rules without relationships, people just rebel against that. You see that with young people, students. Legalism. There's generations that have been lost to the church because they grew up in this rules without relationships mindset. Also, relationships without rules leads to ruin. We have a whole generation today that is all about relationships, but we don't worry about truth or absolute truth to guide us. And it's leading to ruin. It's destroying marriages and destroying lives. Hedonism. So we need to find that middle ground where Christ comes and says, I want to make you go to the baptized people, to teach them to the end of the age so that their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, and their relationships are being changed. It's holistic. 
It's transformational. It truly produces fruit that God has designed for us to produce as a follower of Jesus. Philippians 4, 9 says, The things you have learned, Paul said, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That's holistic. Paul says, I've taught you some things. You've learned them well. You did receive them. I see them being transformed in your life. You heard, but then you saw. You saw them in me. You watched them in me. You observed them in me. And that's discipleship. It's interesting. I brought this chair with me from my home. This is in my office at home, such as it is at home. And this is a wonderfully comfortable chair. You can't see it, but the, the leather on this is all cracked and parched and dried. And, you know, I wouldn't mind teaching like this every Sunday morning, as a matter of fact. I may fall asleep on my own message, actually. But I love this chair. And I'll tell you why I love this chair. This was my dad's chair. If you don't know that, my dad was a pastor at Phoenix Bethany Bible Church for 30 years. Used to be an associate pastor to Dr. J. Vernon McGee at the Church of the Open Door from 51 to 55. And in 1955, Dr. McGee says, John, there's a church in Phoenix, Arizona that needs a pastor. They asked me to go, but I'm not going to go. And there's three reasons why I'm not going to go. And my dad says, what are those three reasons? June, July, and August. That's what he said. And so he sent my dad. So in 1955, my dad went to Phoenix, to uh, Bethany Bible Church, and there were 70 people there. Ralph Eaton met him at the airport and brought he and my mother and my sister Diane and I to Phoenix. I was like four years old at that time. And so he pastored at Bethany Bible Church until he retired. And I can't remember, uh, I cannot remember a message my dad has preached just like you can't remember last Sunday's message. So I'm not putting them down. But my dad was one who discipled me. And the reason I say that is I can't remember all that he taught me in terms of systematic theology, biblical theology, defending the deity of Jesus Christ. I I can't remember sitting down and helping me be able to defend the faith in those ways but he discipled me because he discipled me in relationships. I remember one day that I came home from school in grade school. I rode my bicycle home from Royal Palms Grade School on 19th Avenue. And I rode into the garage where I normally would and parked my bike and there was my dad stretched out on the concrete with blood all over his feet. He had pulled the lawnmower over his foot and had cut off his toe. And so I remember seeing him lay there with his head in my mother's lap, waiting for the ambulance. And through that process of watching him in pain, I learned about grace in times of test and suffering. I remember as I watched my dad and my mother when I was in high school, my mother came down with breast cancer. And she had her breast removed, a mastectomy. And I remember visiting her in the hospital, and afterwards she had to go to radiation and treatments to take lymph glands out and all kinds of things, and she became disfigured with that. 
I remember watching the high school student, my mother and my dad, go through that process of that very challenging experience of a mastectomy and cancer and the fear of death. And they taught me something about grace and staying faithful to Jesus, even when you didn't know what the next day may bring. I remember watching my dad when I was playing high school football in high school. And, you know, in high school, you play football there and you practice in August. You ever been in Phoenix in August? It's as close to hell as you'll ever experience. (laughs) And with full pads on, full pads on, you're out there practicing. In those days, it was a badge of honor to never take a drink. Remember those days? Have you played football back in a few years ago? And I quit the team because I said, it's just too hard. Why would I want to do this? And that day when I quit the team, I came home to dinner and says, Dad, I've quit the team. It's just too hard. I still remember my dad sitting me down and giving me the lecture. And David, your problem is that you tend to take the path of least resistance. You need to get back on that team and stick with something you started. I still remember that. You know what? I'm still here at Calvary Church today. Because my dad taught me persistence in the midst of struggle. Those lessons stick with me, and they help shape me to who I am today. I still remember my dad. One day I walked out on a rare day. I got up early, like at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, why am I up so early? For me, it was early back then. And I walked into the den of our home in Phoenix. And when I walked into the den, I saw my dad. He was on his knees. He was praying on the chair. And I didn't disturb him. But I still have a mental image of my dad on his knees praying early before any of us in the house ever knew that's what he was doing. And I just happened to stumble upon him. And then in his later years of life, his last five years, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And as we saw his body shrink, we saw his ability to walk become more feeble. And I would hug him and it felt like just a skeleton. And one day I was over there, he fell and couldn't get up. The proverbial, I've fallen, I can't get up. And I remember bending down and literally lifting my dad from the ground and carrying him to his bed. And I thought, how many times did he do that for me when I was a baby? And now I'm doing it for him. And even in the midst of that Parkinson's, as devastating as that disease was, that finally took his life one night in the middle of the night, with good grace, with cheer, he continued to be our dad and our grandfather to our kids. And you would never have known He had this debilitating disease. My father discipled me about the issues of life that still shape me to who I am today. And when I sit in this chair, when I watch this chair, and I've got his roll-top desk that this chair sits up to, I would have brought the desk in here as well, but 
Oh, brother, too hard. <laughs> but when I sit there and I look at this chair, these memories and others like them, they swirl around in my mind. Because discipleship comes out of relationships. As Paul says, the thing you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. As the things that I learned and received and saw in Him, I try to practice them. We all need people like that in our lives. And we need to be people like that in other people's lives. I call you, I invite you to be part of multiplying because God takes those situations that I just shared with my dad. He takes the stories of our lives and the grounding of God's Word in the person of Christ and changes people's lives. Let God do that through you. I'd like for you to meet a couple that is beginning this journey of discipleship. And they sat down with us and here's a little video of their story of what discipleship began and continues to be for them. Take a look and listen. It's, it's like um, in Acts, uh, Philip goes up, you know, and he sees him reading Isaiah, and he's like, you, you, see what you, you know what you're reading there? He's like, how can I know unless somebody teaches me or explains it to me, you know? And I think so many of us are Christians or we have the Bible on our nightstand or whatever, but realistically when you don't have somebody there walking with you, it's, it's a lot harder to really grasp and take it in. We came to the Lord through kind of sad circumstances. Um, we're walking the wrong path. Everyone walks, you know, their own way. That's the word says. And uh, uh, tragically, we uh, lost a child. Uh, she was born, lived two hours, and uh, she's with the Lord now. And uh, for me personally, I just was already really angry as it was with God. And just at that moment, we had a chaplain come in and pray for us. And I felt this peace that I just hadn't experienced. And probably ever. Didn't last long, but I knew where to get it. I knew that it was from Christ, from God. So we're like, we'll go to the Calvary Chapel right down the street. <laughs> uh, but it turns out it's just Calvary Church, which is a funny story in itself. We showed up um, on a Wednesday night planning on doing a Bible study. We were just looking for a Bible study. We weren't looking for discipleship, um, but the Lord kind of just led us to it. And I was out on the patio, um, and here come uh, a young couple. I, they didn't act like they really knew what they were looking for, but there they were. And so we said hi, and uh, I said, well, let's look at the, what we do in discipleship. And so we spent the first night getting acquainted, and uh, they went home with a, a verse to memorize. And we had just done one week of uh, the discipleship. It's the second week. I had memorized one verse. <laughs> The assurance of salvation is what the, the title of the verse would be. And I just told her, I'm like, 
I feel like in learning this one verse, putting it in my heart, I feel like I've accomplished more in my life than the 30 years prior. I mean, it's just, it's amazing just the impact that, that God's Word has on your heart and on your mind and on your soul. To be a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus. You don't want to just follow blindly, you know what I mean? You're following Jesus for great reasons and you want to know those reasons. So I think discipleship is leading people in the knowledge of the person, Jesus, who deserves our worship and our adoration. Uh, being discipled for me was um, such a, a gift. Sometimes the Bible can be confusing and you need somebody there that, that understands it, maybe that has um, you know, been taught from somebody else that can help you. Yeah. Well, like I um, often say, it's the discipler who gets blessed, and so maybe it's selfish, uh, or maybe it's just a desire to know God's blessings through a ministry that uh, He's called me to. But I've heard Crystal and Ricardo already share that they have grown, uh, their relationship with God has become deeper, it's given them a desire to serve Him in the ways that He's equipped them to do so. and. In fact, they are doing that. It just blesses me. Everything that we've been talking about, all the changes that discipleship, all the ways it affected our lives, I wanted to be able to share that and pass that on to somebody else so that they could just pass it on to somebody else and just continue that, that chain of just growth. We're thankful for that family, and we'd love to see many more like that following the Lord. Here's what we'd like to do right now. If you look in your books to page 10, this is what essentially is my digging deeper. This would normally be on the backside. There's a lot of great information that comes from the story of Paul's life and the stories of Acts. And discipleship is all about who I am and what I share. And on page 10, that's kind of who I am and what it takes, quality time, emotional vulnerability. He came to them in tears, walking with them through difficult times of trials and opposition and the like. You can read through the list. And there's some discussion questions underneath that. On the next page, in page 11, it's those things that he taught them. Do not shrink from teaching all the Bible, etc. There are questions below each of those. How much time do you think quality time is? Why is this essential? Here's what we'd like to do. For the next few minutes, I'd like you to turn to the people that are around you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. We're a friendly church. You heard the greeting time a little bit earlier. You turn to them and just, just talk about this. We're going to take just a few moments to talk about that. And then I'll come back up here and invite you. So just discuss this amongst those that are around you here right now. Thank you. Okay, we're going to encourage you to kind of wrap it up. And uh, one of the things we're going to do in our life groups, give you extended time, of course, there where you can discuss it further, life groups in the morning, life groups in the evening. And uh, maybe you'd like to continue that dialogue as well. We hope you met some people that you didn't know and are a chance to discuss that. We want to give you just a little flavor of some of the areas and aspects. Discipleship is such a big, wide path. It's life. It's life following Jesus. It's not having all the answers having all the truth. That's part of it, but it's really expressing the life of Christ through each of us 
to shape others to become followers of Jesus. You may think, boy, I, I just need help. Well, we have help for you coming up this Wednesday night. We have the classes that are available for you. If you'd like to be part of the leadership training and development, that's going to be this Wednesday night. If you'd like to have an orientation class to help me to get my feet wet, help me to, I'm just sort of getting started in this thing. That's this Wednesday night as well. Two separate locations, but right here on our campus. Come and join us. We'd love to have you be part of that. We're going to go to communion now. We'll receive the communion and celebrate what God has done in our lives and trust Him for that. And so we want you to prepare your hearts as we bring the elements of the bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And as the uh, leaders come with the bread first, let me pray for this bread that God's blessing to be upon us. As we're followers of Jesus, it means that we're part of the body of Jesus. And as part of the body that that has been transformed by the blood and body of Jesus Christ, then we celebrate. We, we, uh, we remember Him. We need ten, I look at this chair. I remember my dad. We look at these elements. We remember Jesus, what He has done for us. And so this bread represents His body that was crucified for us. Let me give thanks to Him for that. Father God, I thank You that You have given to us symbols that helps us refocus and remember you. Lord, this, this bread, we're thankful, Lord, for it because of the symbolic value that it maintains, that we remember who Jesus is, the one that we follow, the one that, Lord, we should emulate, the one who was our Lord and Savior. So thank you, Father, for his life as we remember you now through this bread. In Jesus' name, amen.